Dear Heavenly Father, God, you know I come before you, Lord, without anything to offer. And how amazing it is, Lord, that you would use someone like me, Lord, to pour forth so many blessings, God. Lord, I ask that I simply be a faithful steward of the blessings that you have given me, that it may be an encouragement to any um, who watches, Lord, and that your words may be used according to your purpose and to fulfill your will. Lord, you know what is on my heart, and I simply ask that your Holy Spirit be leading to take out anything that needs to be taken out or add anything that needs to be added, Lord, to be tailor-made for anybody who is watching God. Uh, guide my words, guide my thoughts, Father God. We thank you so much for the Sabbath. Uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I uh, Let me go ahead and share my screen here. Message for tonight, um, I've titled, I Will Bring the Blind. Um, and I simply uh, thought I could, it would be a, a chance to be able to share um, just God, what God has done to bring me to where I am now. I am presently serving overseas in Southeast Asia with an organization focused on reaching the unreached. Uh, when talking about the unreached, I'm referring to areas where there is less than 2% of Christian presence, countries with swaths of people who have never heard of Jesus ever in their life, or even met one Christian, groups of people who don't even have Bibles in their own language. Most of these um, places are found in the 1040 window. Um, which is a region of the world that is, when we say the 1040 window, we're referring to an area of the world that is referring to 10 degrees north of the equator to up to 40 degrees north of the equator, um, going from Africa to the Pacific Islands. Now, these places are considered um, hard to reach with the gospel because they have some of the most populous cities in the whole entire world. Um, you have Many of these areas are heavily Muslim, atheist, Buddhist, Hindu, and which makes for an area that is very hostile to the gospel. Some of the poorest cities are within this region. We're talking about people living on less than $2 a day. And you take all these factors together, and that has, when you have lots of people, not enough money, an environment hostile to the gospel, you have, you have a great recipe for making areas that are very hard to reach. Now, I, um, I, I'm, I share, I'm sure maybe many of you have heard of these things, but for, I always find that there's always one person who's not familiar with this information. So, you know, just to give an idea of um, sort of the situation, okay. You, there's, a, there's this map of the world. If you were to make, you can see that circle right there. It says that there are more people living inside the circle than outside of it. And not just more people in that circle, but specifically more Muslims, more Hindus, more Buddhists, more communists living inside that circle than, the, than outside in the whole entire world. And so you can just like, I'm, like I've always liked that map because it gives me just an idea of like, wow, there really is such a dense 
area to reach for the gospel. And um, how is our church doing to reach these places? So these are some numbers that I've taken. Back in 2004, we had 14 countries unreached by the Adventist church. According to the most recent numbers I could find in 2017, that number has changed to 22 countries with zero Adventists. That number, as you can notice friends, did not go down as time has gone on, but that number has grown, has increased. In a country like Afghanistan, we have 32 million people and only five Adventists in that country. In a country like Iran, 78 million people with zero Adventists. I have been told that it could be um, that there are underground members, but a country like 78 million people I sure would pray that it's more than zero Adventists. And, you know, just talking a little bit more broadly, in a more generic sense. In 2004, we had 5,000 unreached people groups. When, I when we're talking about people groups, um, you can think of, you know, we have 200 countries, but inside many of those countries, there are groups of people that have their own language and their own culture. 5,000 of those groups unreached in 2004. Moving forward to 2020, that number, friends, is now 7,414 unreached people groups. 6,208 groups of them are in the 1040 window. You know, typically, you, you, lay, a, you lay these kind of numbers in front of any kind of business the executives would look at those numbers and say, what's your business model is failing. The numbers are, are growing in the wrong direction. Yes, our church is gaining membership, but friends, we need to face the facts, the work growing faster than we can keep up with it. And when I look and see these things, there's a quote that makes me that sort of speaks to what I think sometimes. Unreached peoples are unreached for a reason. They're hard, difficult, and dangerous to reach. All the easy ones are taken. This is a map. Every dot that you see is representing a people group, not just one person, but a people group, a group of people ranging anywhere from a population of 1,000 to 100,000 people that are unreached for Jesus. Unreached, remember, is meaning they, are, they, they don't have one Christian. They, they have never met a Christian in their life. They don't have a Christian in their area. They don't have churches in their area to tell them about Jesus. They don't have they most likely don't have Bibles in their language to learn about and hear the gospel. They're not gonna find a glow track on their door. They're not gonna stumble across 3ABN on their satellite TV. And this is why I'm overseas. Because we know that Jesus will not come until every person has a chance to hear the gospel and he is too loving to give up billions of souls represented by these red dots. 
And it's going to take more than just hoping satellite TV or Facebook or whatever technology we may, we may be hoping to depend upon to reach these people. It's going to, it requires an actual person who will personally bring the gospel to these people. It was in 2008 when I graduated from La Sierra University and I had no idea what God had planned. Um, just about two years before, I knew that God had sent to me, follow me into ministry. At the time, my faith was a bit in its infancy and I didn't really know how to seek God in a more clear way, perhaps, or maybe that's God, how God designed it. The only thing that I knew that God wanted from me was to change my major from medical tech to theology. But if you had asked me what career I would pursue by changing my major or what job I was expecting, the only sure thing I could tell you would be, I don't know. You wanna ask me about a five-year plan at that time? It was impossible. I didn't even know in five months what God was wanting me to do. But the mercy of God practically landed me a job at the Voice of Prophecy in 2009. And I can say that those years of working in that ministry were some of the best of my life. It was so good that I was excited to go back to work on Mondays, even when I went on vacation and I was, I was looking forward to going back to work. I was excited. But even in a place where, you know, I was, I felt like I was sort of putting to use what I knew and I was being used by God. I, there was something that was stirring in me and I noticed it strongly in 2010. GC session, um, Jan Paulson, General, uh, General Conference president at the time, he did a spotlight in missions on the early church. And he said this, he was talking about the early church and when they realized they actually came to the, to, to the realization that the gospel was no longer, right? The, the, it became the, instead of shut door to open, open door. And they, they started to go out. And he said this quote, so much of it was driven by their own personal, personal commitment to go and do this. They would give of their very best. There was just that strong conviction that we cannot do mission without going out, physically going out and being there. So they made that decision at great personal sacrifice. Many, many of them gave their lives. They went out with no thought of ever coming back. They just went out to finish the work, to finish, to do mission. You know, when, when he said that, and it was, it's, really just a, it's really just that quote, but I would look up that quote from the GC and I would, to rewatch it, like over and over because I was just so inspired by the early SDA church, by their sheer living dedication to finish the work. When the church realized that the message was to go to all the world, they felt the conviction that they must go. And they went out without, with a plan of just not coming back. And, you know, you know and, it, and it blows my mind because this was in that time when you know, they didn't have the travel options and the telecommunications that we have now. I mean, I've, I've complained about a trip that takes close to 24 hours to get on literally on the opposite side of the world. But the believers in that day and age, they didn't even know if they would make the journey 
to the destination, let alone, let alone make it back. And then in 2012, I went to an army Bible camp where they shared a video about the unreached and the billions of people who have never heard of Jesus. And that video was like an arrow to my heart. And one quote stuck out, no one has the right to hear the gospel twice while there remains someone who has not heard it once. When I read that, it made me uncomfortable. It made this, this unbearable kind of feeling. It was as if the weight of the responsibility upon me as a Christian was weighing heavily in a way I had never felt it before. Um, Paul says in Romans 1.14, right? I am a debtor to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the unwise. Because it, it made me, you know, this quote, it makes me think, how many times have I heard the gospel preached to me every week? Every week in one year, that's 52 times at least, you know, that, that not counting Friday night vespers or whatever other ways I have been exposed to the gospel. And it, and it even comes to a point, friends, let's be honest, where we, many of us are looking for the next pastor who has a different way to share the gospel in a new way that would help our tingling, itching ears. Because we have been so accustomed and almost in a way numbed to what the gospel can mean to us. That's how often we hear the gospel, but there are billions in the world who have not even heard it once. And that made me uncomfortable. It made me feel irresponsible. And that video wouldn't let me go. I looked up that video on YouTube and I don't know how many times I rewatched that video just thinking of how convicted I felt. And that video, it just like, you, you should look it up. It says, you can serve, okay. Um, probably from the year 2012. And it, not only did it have this quote, but any kind of objection that I would have raised about going and serving overseas long-term, it strikes at the core of it. We, you know, maybe I'm struggling with, am I, you know, where's the money gonna come from? Well, doesn't God say I will supply your, all your needs? Well, what about my family? Doesn't the Bible say to love God more? And it, it hit at all of these different objections I wanted to say, but truth be told, the Bible says what it says. The, God has already answered all of those objections. So what was stopping me? So I began to pray. And I said, God, you know my heart. If it is your will for me to end up overseas, you will have to open the door. I have student loans. I'm, I don't know how to figure out my, you're gonna have to figure out my work situation. And you're going to have to work on my family's heart to accept this. And I would pray. The following year in 2013, I got a phone call from an old friend from college. He called me and told me, I'm helping this new ministry in Cambodia, helping with sex trafficking victims. We were praying and your name came to my mind. The term would be for about three years. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. The idea 
of, of me serving overseas just became really real because you know I would talk about it and you know it, it just felt like this pipe dream this wishful thinking there are, because there are so many better skilled smarter braver Christians that God can call to call me feels ridiculous that you know I I would I would joke about it I would joke about it and, you know, I'd be in at work and voice of prophecy and yeah, I would talk to people, yeah, you know, one day I'm going to end up overseas and start a health restaurant. I'm going to call it maybe a veggie beef noodle soup 1844. Ha ha ha. And here, this phone call. So finally, it's there. Was this really it? This phone call. I then decided to set aside weeks of fasting and praying and, you know, just as I was about to embark on my period of fasting and praying, a friend that I grew up with in the church asked if we could date. And then at work, Voice of Prophecy gave the exciting news that one of my most favorite speakers, his favorite evangelist, was going to be the new director. And I, and I felt like I was being pulled in all these different directions. And I couldn't understand why now, God? Why did I feel like I was being put in this place to choose being overseas versus a lifelong stable career with, and as, as well as my love life? And I laid it before God. After coming out of my time of prayer and fasting, daily seeking, listening to sermons, I could try and find anything for guidance and direction. God made it clear to me that he was calling me overseas. And honestly, it was a very scary realization. But God had given me the verse. Oh. Isaiah 42, 16. I will bring the blind by a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them which is where the verse comes from. And I wish I could say that once God answered my prayer and he made it clear to me that, that that's what he was calling me to do, that I was brave and I was courageous and I was bold and I went forward. But this, my, my faith is really very weak. Maybe my feeble faith can encourage someone else who is hearing God calling them to a hard decision. In the several months that followed after I knew God was telling me already, he already answered. <laughs> but I still didn't tell my work. I didn't tell my family. I probably told like three or four close friends and family. I was wrestling with God. And there's a quote that I came across from George Vandeman that really fits what I was going through. The most frightening word in the Christian vocabulary is the word surrender. How do you spell it? Most people I know spell it with four letters, R-I-S-K. We fear it because we do not know what it may mean. We fear it because we do not want to let go the management of our lives. We fear it because God may ask us to give up something we do not want to give up. We say there is risk in surrender. It is this that frightens us. It is this that holds us back. It is this that keeps us from commitment. 
There is no risk in surrender, except when we do it halfway. It is the partial, cautious, soft pedal commitment that brings problems. Isn't that so true, friends? I knew what God had already told me, but the surrender was just too frightening because for some reason, many of us have this tendency, or at least I do, to think that being surrendered to God and letting him have his way with our lives mean, means being forced into extreme suffering that we can like somehow like prove our loyalty and faith to him. But the patience of God is so great, my friends. God, the only one who deserves my complete trust and has never done me wrong, was still so willing to work with someone whose faith is as weak as mine. The quote goes on. It actually goes into referring to Isaac. Isaac was safer on the altar of sacrifice than he could have been in the halls of sin. In fact, Isaac was never safer than when he lay surrendered upon the altar in the hands of a loving God. There is no risk in surrender. God is not standing by with a list of unpleasant requirements ready to impose, ready to impose them upon us the moment we surrender. It is safe to let go of every earthly support and take the hand of him who lifted up and saved the sinking disciple on the stormy sea. in my wrestling of going back and forth because I, I, I knew what God was calling me to, but I wasn't really ready to make the complete plunge. And it seemed like it just caused more problems the more one foot in and one foot out I was in. And finally, I decided, you know what? I, I've got to make, I've got to set this aside. I've got to ask God one more time. And I put out some time to pray to God, to ask God one, one more time, crying out to God, are you calling me overseas? I went to my devotions that morning and God led me to Mark chapter 10, verse 29, where Christ says, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold. That wasn't even really part of my devotions, but just God, how he leads from verse to verse. He led me to that verse and I knew that was my answer. Where I was struggling with the idea of leaving my family and I was struggling with what the future could hold because I leave and go somewhere else in a place not home. I knew that Christ was promising me that anything I could surrender or give up as a sacrifice would never, would, at the end, would not be counted as a sacrifice because his, he's such a good God that he gives back more than we ever could have imagined for anything we would have called a sacrifice. You know, after, after I, I made and I, and I made that commitment, I said, okay, I'm gonna accept this. I know God is calling me. <laughs> Two weeks later, <laughs> my friend calls me back from college about the, the ministry in Cambodia. And he says, it's not gonna work. Don't go near it with a 
40 foot pole. I was like, what? <laughs> that ministry was not going to get off the ground. And I was so confused. I know, I knew that God undeniably was telling me that he spoke to me and that he made it so clear to me that he was calling me overseas. What happened? And the thought crossed my mind that maybe it's not that God's call has changed, but maybe the method had. And then I started to see God making doors and things move and shift. The voice of prophecy began to give, to give a notice to everyone saying that they were moving to another part of the country, Loveland, Colorado, and everybody um, was going to have to make a choice to either go with them or to um, leave their job, leave their post. And the young man, we tried for a short time, but we, had, we eventually had to admit to each other that God was calling him to the US and God was calling me overseas, we would never work. And with all of this strange sort of new developments that happen within the two weeks, it, it just, in a moment of just like this desperation and just frustration and this attempt to like feel like I had some kind of control over my life, I decided to send an application to an overseas organization, AFM. And wouldn't you know, they sent me a response the next day. <laughs> And the, the email essentially said, Jessica, thank you so much for your application, but we are having problems with our website and there was a glitch and, you know, only part of your response came in, please complete it and choose your three places that you would like to go. <laughs> Friends, when I got that email, I got cold feet, like cold. I just freaked out and I, you know, I, I'm a bit ashamed to say, but I completely ignored the email and pretended like I never received it or even read it. <laughs> that following month, so that was, and that following month was GYC. And during one of the morning plenary messages, it was as if God had spun that entire message for me taking everything I had studied morning to morning throughout that year, it was tied into that message. And then the speaker made kind of these little appeals and it pretty much felt like it was saying to me, there is someone here who needs to move on from that relationship that God is calling you to do what God is calling you to. There is someone here who needs to tell that job that you are quitting so that you can go do what God is calling you to do. I knew that was for me. From that GYC, I finally told my work I was quitting, even though I didn't know where God was going to send me. And I then began to seek and apply to various places to serve. Um, but in the following months, all the ones that I talked to or applied to, they just didn't respond. They didn't get back to me, but there was one that I had, the one I had ignored earlier because I, I didn't put it back onto my list because I was a bit too proud to face the fact that the idea of trying to raise my own support just sounded impossible to me that I would be able to do that. But in a couple months since the GYC, month of March, I received an email 
the one place I had rejected. The email read, Hi, Jessica, thank you for your application. We are so sorry, but we are having problems with the website and we now only received your application, but there was a glitch and only part of your response came in. Please complete it and choose the three places you would like to go. They were writing to me as if it was the first time ever. <laughs> and I felt like friends that God had hit the reset button. He, I had totally messed up and turned down the one that was God's will for me. But God in his mercy and patience, the tender shepherd that he is, saw my mistake, brought me back around to make the right choice. I don't know if there's anyone that is seeking God's will right now. And maybe you're too afraid to make a move because you think that if you make the wrong choice, you're like somehow sealing your fate and you, you know, but take it from me. I'm telling you from personal experience that God is so much greater than the failures we bring to his feet. I think we all know the verse, Proverbs chapter three, uh, verse five and six, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You know, in this time that I was seeking after God, this one became more real because here, you know, it tells us, tells us our part. If we trust in God with our heart, if we lean on our own understanding and in the action of acknowledging him, seeking him in prayer, seeking him in Bible study, acknowledging him, asking him for his wisdom, every time we come to the decision and we bring it to his feet, God gives us this pledge. He shall, he shall direct our paths. Whether, you know, it's the, the burden is upon God. As long as we do our part and we ask God for his wisdom, we ask God for his will, he will make it happen. He will put us into his will, into his path. Even if you make a mistake, God will direct your path because God is too kind and too loving to leave us to our mistakes when we ask him for help. And I have found that if as long as I, in my heart of hearts, I ultimately wanted to do the will of God and maybe instead of choosing A and I chose B, God will honor the desire that I wanted to do his will. And he will shift me to the right direction to the choice that was his. After that, I, so... I signed up with the organization. I signed up for one year in 2014. And, um, you know, before I left, not only did God just totally um, bring in the funds, I was so afraid that I wasn't gonna be able to, to raise. He took care of my student loans. <laughs> Voice of Prophecy left me with a very much needed severance package. <laughs> And when I told my family about my commitment, they responded with, well, we can't stop you if you think this is what God is telling you to do. God answered and opened every door I put before his, before his feet. 
and he even went above and beyond it. You know, after, after you sign up, they take you through training and you connect with all these incredible people who, who are wanting to go serve and, you know, give up their, give up a year of their life. And you meet the, those who want to give up years of their life, you know, and um, when I had signed up, there was one place that I wanted to go. And I asked them, you know, is it possible to go to that place? And they, uh, they told me, no, there isn't a project for that place, for that country. But in the meantime, I could serve next door. I said, okay, you know, um, that's fine. You know, wherever God would have me go. While in the middle of that year of service, I received an email from the organization asking if I would be willing to help start the groundwork for a new project in the country I wanted to go. Now, perhaps you'd think I'd be excited, but uh, just so you know how human I am, I got cold feet <laughs> because deep down when they were asking me to just, you know, just even look at the country, I knew that they weren't asking for just one year like I was giving then but it could be up for up to 10 years. And I wasn't ready to offer to God that. And I, they must have sensed my kind of hesitation. So the president suggested that I join him for a brief meeting with him and an official from the general conference. And when we met, they began to share with me what was taking place. That year, at GC session 2015, the general conference was making a call to start the work in the country I wanted to go. And then the president told me that AFM had been praying for years to start something there too. And already I was on my own wanting to be there. And he said, it's like all these puzzle pieces from different entities, God is taking them and putting them together. And I decided to ask, you know, the GC elder what they desired to have happen on the project. And the answer they said was a center of influence with a health restaurant. Friends, oftentimes we limit God and somehow think our pipe dreams are so out of reach to God. But the reality is, is that God has such grand visions and his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth to see who is willing to take God at his word and join up with God and buy into his vision. When, when he said that, I, I knew it, it pretty much, it was set that I knew where God wanted me to go next. But it didn't make it didn't make it any less scary for me. I finished up my one year, and the 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 daunting task of giving up years, committing years in the next country was a hard reality to face. But God does it. He gives you the strength to move as you can 
from one stepping stone to the next. You know, never would I have thought that it would be possible to be at peace with the idea that I am willing to serve overseas for years until Jesus comes. You know, the, the victories that you experience because God takes you and he stretches you and he, as he pulls your faith into these directions that, you, that feel unreachable. And I can tell you from experience that, you know, alongside with the victories, oftentimes in moving to the next stone, you fall. And I fell hard many times. After my one year, I came back to America um, where you have, um, before you go choose um, to, the, to the place that you're being called to, um, you do, you know, I had a time, a time period to try and fundraise um, the support of the ministry that I would be out there for. No, and, but at, at the same time, when I came back to America, I felt God was calling me to continue my education and get a master's. Something I never had the desire to, because being free from loans is, is, it just feels so free, my friends. But after much discussion with God, I knew that he was leading me to get an MBA. And um, if you knew me personally, I'm the last person that you would want to be running any business. I'm the kind of person that would run a business into bankruptcy, just being too nice to fire anybody or being so nice and wanting to hire anyone or being so nice and giving everything for free, you know, on and on. The struggle was real. <laughs> okay. I, I like, I was entirely out of my element in studying for this. And like, I, I failed classes and you know as an Asian that's like you don't do that <laughs> um and and then in so many other aspects everything was just really hitting a pretty big low and I just felt like I was failing God my spirituality was a low um you know with all the fundraising I just going overseas for several years is a lot larger amount than serve than um raising support for one year and it just it just felt impossible felt feels like this this huge mountain that you're you're like being asked to pick up somehow you know and it's like this amount that like i'll never i've never known of having that amount of money to my name ever <laughs> and i have to raise it and you know i i came to point so low in my faith that i would pray to god you know god are you still calling me because i've messed up so many times and I've let you down. Will you still have me? Before I had started my studies, I had actually planned a gap term to take medical missions training uh, because, but because of my uh, poor educational performance, I was told that I might not be allowed to go as I planned if I wanted to stay in the program. But by the mercy of God, with much prayer and a lot of improvement on my performance, and a lot of talking to different personnel, um, God's mercy worked it out. And um, I, I was able to get the, the gap term. And I went to train at Eden Valley in Loveland, Colorado, same city as the place of my old job, Voice of Prophecy. And while I was doing medical missions training at Eden Valley, I, um, I decided 
to ask my old job if it would be possible to share why I had quit and what I was doing. And they were happy. They were happy to have me. And I began. So I went over there for worship and began to share with them about why I left, about the 1040 window, about the needs of the unreached. And at the end, someone had asked me, um, why hadn't I gone yet? And then I explained to them that, well, you know, I need to raise the support before I could leave. After I finished, a woman came up to me with a smile. And she told me, one year ago, I had a dream that a gospel worker going overseas to the 1040 window. And in that dream, I asked the worker why they had not gone yet. And the worker said, I need the funds before I can go. She ended that story and she, with a smile and she tells me, my husband and I are not rich, but we will support you with what we can. God's hand is on your road. I could not believe it. One year ago, God gave her a dream. You might as well tell me that I'm living the book of Acts, okay? I could not comprehend it. Just weeks ago, because of my failures, I almost didn't even make it to Colorado. But friends, okay, I am living proof that when God calls you to something, it's never been about you. God's calling on you has never been dependent upon what you offer to God. The call of God didn't start in your heart. It started in the heart of God. A year before, God was already raising this woman to help me in my path. I don't know what obstacles you've hit or if you feel that you've messed up God's plan for his calling on your life. The thing is, you can't. He's already prepared and provided for that trial, for that crisis before it came. We serve the eternal author and finisher of the faith, and he will be the one carving your path as long as you cling to him and his word. And I think one of the most valuable lessons I have found in this journey is knowing what it means to trust that God will fulfill what he says. That when he pledges something, he always comes through. When I first understood that God was calling me overseas, I was so afraid to move forward. And so I asked God to provide me tokens. When I say a token, Imagine like a treasure chest full of like gold coins. And, and it's like God takes one gold coin and he says to me, this is a token, a symbol that I have promised and pledged to you, the entire treasure chest at the end. You hang on to this token. You hang on to this gold coin. That dream was the token, was the assurance I needed that God wasn't going to let me fail. He already had set up this woman I had never met to help me with raising support. I'll share with you another um, 
token, one that hits a little more closer to home. One morning, um, by providence, I found out that um, I go into my emails and I find out the upcoming Sabbath, that the president um, of the organization was going to share a message at Advent Hope. And I, I email with him, I chat with him, and then Advent Hope gave me a chance to do a spotlight right before his message. I was excited. What, like, I was like, wow, what an opportunity. And I'm, I'm like sharing with my friends and my best friend then suggests to pray for, she had been listening to sermons by Martin Kim and she's like, you know, you should pray to God for a specific amount. And I hadn't tried that before. I was like, okay. And so, you know what? I decided to pray to God to ask him, what should I pray for? How much should I pray for? And as I'm praying, the number $5,000 comes up. And that number, I'm like, I, I laughed it off. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's not God, that's foolishness. <laughs> and um, because in all the times I had visited churches, like I would not even imagine asking for $2,000 because I would not even reach halfway to a thousand. And to ask for 5,000 was just like, that's, that's ridiculous. But I came out of that prayer and um, we, we talked to each other and she, you know, I was just joking around and I said, Haha, you know, like uh, I was, I was thinking $5,000 and I was expecting her to laugh. And instead she said, actually, that's what, that's what came to me too. So I went forward on it. I started to pray me and my friends praise God for friends who pray with you who encourage you in your faith. We prayed together asking for $5,000. That Sabbath, I shared, maybe some of you remember, it was a small, small spotlight, just some few minutes. And I, I think I just got nervous and things sort of, I, I was just sort of rambling. <laughs> and I, I kid you not, I sat down friends and I thought to myself, I, I totally, I totally blew it. I totally blew it. I don't even know if people know what I'm doing, that I'm raising money or that I, I don't even know if they know what I'm doing or going for. And at the end, someone comes up to me and she's chatting with me. And then she tells me, I wish I could do more. She starts to write a check. And then she says, but consider it a token. She hands me a check for $500. When I saw the check, and when she said that, I knew. I knew that God was going to bring in the $5,000. Friends, two weeks later, a phone number I didn't recognize calls me and they talk to me. It's this older couple, lovely couple, saying they had never known about this overseas organization before. And that they, they happened, the husband happened to go to that, attend that, that Advent Hope Sabbath school. And they decided that they wanted to give me $5,000 and they pledged to give $100 every month after that. God never fails his word. 
God continues to provide in incredible ways. You know, I, I used to dread raising support, but by the mercy of God, it's become this like incredible blessing to meet all these people who have out of their heart, people I have never met before, but they have made of their own decision to give to the overseas work out of love for the unreached. And I share with them what God is doing. And I feel like I'm the one that's so blessed. I don't know if there is anybody that is facing this decision that you know that God is perhaps calling you to something and you feel scared. You feel scared to surrender because there are so many what ifs and so many uncertainties about that decision. You're scared to move forward because you're going to make a mistake. If maybe if that's you, um, you can raise your hand where you are or, you know, but I want to pray for you. I am a person of feeble faith. I am full of weaknesses and full of mistakes. And if God can use someone like me and bring my faith to the place where it is now, I know that he will provide for you whatever you need. I don't know what challenge, if it's with your family, if it's with your work. I want to pray for you that God gives you the strength to surrender and follow his will. And I want to um, also perhaps pray for anybody that might be um, perhaps struggling, struggling to, to consider um, the overseas work. You don't know, it doesn't matter what kind of capacity that is. But you know that you see a need, you have heard the need, and you realize that you have an abundance of something that so much of the world does not have. And you want to tell God that you want to commit whether I don't know what, what other aspect God is calling you. I don't know if it's years. I don't know if it's financial. But you, you see the need and you realize that you're not doing what you can be doing for the unreached. I'd like to pray for you. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father God, I praise you and I thank you. I know that my simple path and journey is just one of so many others that you have moved upon and touched God. Lord, how easy it is to forget that the God who moved in the book of Acts, that the Holy Spirit who made miracles and could heal the blind and cause laymen to walk, Lord, how easy it is to doubt that you are willing to work the same in this day and age. Lord, I want to pray for those who are struggling to surrender something to you, to surrender to you in some kind of major decision, whatever that decision may be. Maybe it's with a relationship. Maybe it's with a job decision. Maybe it's, it's a career path change. 
but they know that you are calling them to make it and they're struggling with the scary thought of surrender. God, if you could make someone with faith as weak as mine move forward, God, I know you are able to encourage and help those with that next step. Lord, may you bring them the fortitude even in the spite in spite of the face of fear to simply cling on to you and move forward not because you are removing the obstacles not because things are going to be perfect at the end of the path but because you are leading the path and you are leading the way that there is no risk in surrender with you god and that is safe to let go of every earthly support and to grab on to your hand, God. And Lord, I want to pray for those who see and have heard um, in a way the need of the unreached and recognize that they, they can do more. They, and maybe you are calling them to do more, to do something more than they have been doing before, something maybe uncomfortable and something that, that stretches them beyond what they feel that they can give. God, may you strengthen their hand. May you uphold them with your righteous right hand. And give them the words, Lord, that they may know that you're, you attend them, Father God. And that anything you have asked of us, Lord, you have always promised to give back a hundredfold. Not because we deserve it, because that's the kind of God that we serve. Father God, we thank you for the Sabbath. We thank you for this evening, Lord. We praise you for the blessings that you have given us this past week and the blessings that we look forward to as we enjoy your Sabbath. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.